Good morning, Doxa. Today we'll be reading from James 5, 1 through 6. Come now, ye rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidenced against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. All right. Well, good morning again, Doxa. It's, it's great to, to see all of you guys here today. And even if you're not able to join us yet, it's great to have you together with us on our, our live stream. Um, my name is Rob. If, if you're new, I'm one of the pastors here. Guys, if you haven't grabbed your Bible yet and opened up to James chapter 5, go ahead and, and find your way there. We're in week 10 of our study through the, the great book of James. And, and guys, as we, as we get into this today, um, I want to start by, by reminding you something that is so incredibly important. All right, and it's just honestly just extremely relevant for us as we open up the Bible together today. And it's this, okay? To think Christianly, okay, or to think biblically. It's, it's not just to, to think Christian thoughts, and it's not just to think biblical thoughts, but really it's to think all of our thoughts from a Christian biblical perspective. All right, it's as C.S. Lewis famously said, he said, I believe in Christianity as I believe in the rising of the sun. Not simply because I can see it, but because by it I can see everything else. All right, that when a person becomes a Christian, it, it alters our view of things. All right, in, in some cases, it like heightens an affection or a love that we have. In other cases, it, it really just completely replaces it. Sometimes it, it completely changes our view on a, on a social or a moral or a, an ethical issue. It has an impact on the way that we view life and the way that we view time and beauty and significance and what does it mean to be like a success in our culture today. And it certainly impacts our view of poverty and wealth. Guys, and it's this. It's the issue of wealth and riches that we come to in our study of James today. All right? And when it comes to this issue of, of wealth and money, guys, this is in many ways, I just want you to hear this and, and know this truth, in many ways, this is a key indicator of our spiritual life and where our priorities lie. All right? And so today what we're going to do is, is, is really this, we're, we're going to take our Bibles and we're going to pull out our wallets. And we're just going to put them together. And what we're going to do is we're going to go before God humbly and just ask, okay, what does God say? What does the Bible say about how I should view and get and use the money that is in my wallet? This is what we're doing. And, and as we get into this, I just want to recognize that, guys, this is a topic that, that might make some of you like really uncomfortable, okay? Because we, we live in a culture, in a society that is quite honestly like obsessed with money. And we don't really like to have anybody talk to us about our money and how, certainly not how to we, that we should view it or, or use it and what we do with it. But the truth is, guys, there are so many voices in our world today that will inform us of how we are to view and use the money that we have. But as we get into this today, guys, here is the truth. James chapter 1, verse 17, which we talked about several weeks ago, says that every good and perfect gift is, is from God. 
So what that means is like the money that we have in our wallets and the money that we have in our, in our bank accounts is a gift. And as, and as God gives us these good gifts, he gives us ways to view it, to, to see it, to use these give, good gifts as he intends us to do. And, and again, I know that some of you, you're, you're maybe like really uncomfortable. And if you're new, you, you picked a great week to come, right? You're like, okay, you came on a, on a money week. But let me just say this, guys. This is one of the reasons why we teach through books of the Bible. All right, if you're new, you just need to know this about us. Our propensity is just to go through books of the Bible, kind of chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and just hear from God and by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, respond to God, thereby becoming the people that he's created us to be. And so we come today and we don't want to skip over hard parts because we know that all the Bible is profitable to us, that God wants to teach us something. He wants to do something in our lives, something significant that, that is really for the good of the world. And so we're here humbly with our hands open. Guys, this is what we're doing. And just saying, God, teach us. Help us to hear from you. Let us to know what is the correct way to view. Because Isaiah 55 is right, that, that we have thoughts and ways on things, but God's thoughts and his ways are higher and above and better than ours. All right, so let's get into this, okay? Verse 1 of chapter 5. Here's what James says. Come now, you rich. All right, and, and I'll just stop here because James is, is primarily addressing non-Christians here. And, and if you've been with us, you know that this is a little bit different than what he's been doing because if you remember, this book is, is written to a Christian audience. But he says here, come now, you rich. All right, these aren't Christians because their identity is what? They're rich. That previously throughout the book, James says, come now, brothers. He's talking to the brethren. And as he's doing this, he's, he's talking to brothers and sisters who are in Christ. But that's not how he addresses these, these people here. These are not brothers and sisters. These are not Christians. These are ungodly rich people that he's talking to. And if you remember back for a few weeks ago, earlier on in the book of James, we, we learned that there's like a substantial tension between the rich and the poor. All right, many people in, during this time were, that were Christians were, were very poor and they were being exploited by the rich people around them. In fact, this is what James says in chapter two, verses six and seven, if you remember when we talked about that. And so James says, look back, come now you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Now, stop and ask the question, why would James address the unbelieving rich in this way? All right, because if you really think about this, if you're, if you're thinking critically as we are reading this text, these unbelieving rich are, are not the recipients of this letter. They most likely would never come across it because they're not gathering with the people of God. So why would James go through all this trouble to write a letter using some of the harshest, strongest language in the New Testament when they would never hear it? Why would he do that? And guys, here's what we need to know as we get into this. James' purpose here is, is not primarily to teach the ungodly rich about the error of their ways. All right, instead, what he wants to do is he wants to show his Christian readers who are really on the receiving end of the ungodly rich what God thinks of it. That he wants the Christians to overhear what God would and will say to these rich people who are oppressing the poor. And so he's communicating in a very prophetic way. This is like a prophetic lament that if you think back to the Old Testament, the Old Testament prophets, right, the, the people of God in Israel, they were frequently given these, these prophecies directed to the surrounding 
nations of Israel that were doing very evil, godless things. And the point of these prophecies, the prophets came and spoke to God's people, not so that the, God's people would hear this and learn it, write it all down, and then go to all the surrounding nations and go on like a teaching tour and teach all of these people. But the point was, is that God's people needed to know what God thought about the evil that was going on. And as they heard about the evil that was going on and what God thought about it, they would then know how to think about themselves. Or this is what James is doing in his words here. It would help the Christians of this time know two things. All right? The first thing that they would learn is that they didn't need to fear these rich oppressors because God is ultimately going to win. He's going to come and he's going to save them and he's going to vindicate them from this injustice. This is why he says, if you look forward to verse 7, which we're going to get into next week, he says to be patient. Be patient as you wait for the Lord. He's going to save you. Then the second thing that he says that these Christians should learn and, and take is that they should not try to imitate and envy the rich around them because judgment was coming to them. All right, so James really just wants his readers to know how to think about the rich people around them because the truth is it would be so easy, right, for these poverty-stricken Christians to look around and start envying the rich to aspire to be like them, to get bitter because they don't have what they have. But the reality is, guys, it's incredibly dangerous to be in this particular position that these rich people find themselves in. Now, here's another question. This is a big one. Is it inherently wrong or sinful to be rich? Yes or no? No. Guys, it is not sinful to be rich. James is not making this like blanket, indiscriminate statement and attack on these rich people here because there's, there's no wording here that, that are against riches per se. And despite what some people will say, the Bible does not say that money is the root of all evil. All right? But the Bible says that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. This is 1 Timothy 6.10. And so the focus of James here is on those who who gain their wealth in an ungodly way, they make it the center of their lives and they fail to use it to help other people. And as we begin to think about wealth, you know, we tend to do it in like two ways, right? We, we think of wealth in two ways. We, we think what? Rich and poor, right? This is how we think. When you read the Bible, guys, the Bible speaks of wealth in, in four different categories. All right, a man named Charles Swindoll laid this out beautifully. It was super helpful to me to understand what's going on here, and I wanted to just give it to you to help your understanding as we get into this today. But the first category that we see in the Bible is, is the godly poor. All right, so, so this would be like the, the poor widow in, in Mark chapter 12. All right, they don't have much presently, but they have everything eternally through faith in Jesus. They're godly but they're very poor and don't have many physical possessions, okay? In, in our day, this would be like a single mom who's just working hard, working a lot of jobs. She's trying to provide. She's just struggling and to make ends meet, to, to feed her kids, to clothe her kids. She's godly, but she's poor, all right? The second category is, is the ungodly poor, all right? These are, these are people who who are poor, they don't have material possessions, but they also don't have a relationship with God. And so these people are really doubly poor. They're in a really bad position. 
All right, the book of Proverbs talks a lot about these, these types of people. These are people who, because of sin or addictions or compulsions or, or just like a complete unwillingness to work, that they're, they're poor, but they're not like the godly poor. They're not like the godly widow. They're poor. They don't have things, but they're ungodly. They don't have Jesus either. The third category as we look at the Bible is, is the godly rich. All right, these are, these are people who, who love God and they also have a lot of money. In the Bible, this would be people like Abraham and Job, all right? This would be Lydia. This would be Joseph of Arimathea, if you remember Joseph, right? Who upon Jesus' death, Joseph gives up his rich man's tomb so Jesus can be buried there. These are really godly people who are also very, very wealthy and have a lot of material things. And then finally, the fourth category is the ungodly rich. You just think about the ungodly rich. These are, these are the rich men like the rich young ruler that we, we studied in Luke's gospel last year. These are the people in the church of Laodicea in the book of, of Revelation, people who have a lot of money, a lot of prestige, a lot of power, but they get it and they use it in really ungodly, evil, sinful ways. All right, and I, and I tell you all of that to just kind of help you to understand what's going on here in, in James chapter five. James is, is writing to the ungodly rich who are oppressing the godly poor. And he has some very strong, direct, and really just quite honestly, uncomfortable things to say to those ungodly rich people. For example, look back to verse one. He says, come now you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Skip down to verse three. He says, you have laid up treasure in the last days. And look at verse five. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. And as you hear this wording, guys, do you, do you get what he's talking about? You understand this? All right, James is, is talking about the day of judgment. He, he's ultimately talking about hell. That these ungodly rich people were living in such like a sinful, evil way that it would lead to their eternal condemnation. And so this is like a really serious issue for James because it's a really serious issue for God. And it's not just like a serious issue for these rich people. I mean, it's a, it's a warning to them to say that condemnation is coming, but it's also for Christians, All right, It's also for us as a warning because the truth is if God puts a lot in our hands, he wants us to be generous. He wants us to help others in need. He wants us to view, receive, and use the riches that we have in a God-honoring way for his glory and the good of those around us. But here, this is not what these rich people are, are doing, right? Instead of, of being generous and helping those in need, these ungodly rich people are doing three things that God is gonna judge them for. And the first of which is this. If you're a note taker, you can write this down. The first thing that they're doing is they're hoarding their wealth. Look at verse two. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. All right, so here's what we have going on, okay? And how we're gonna approach this as we study this passage, we're gonna look at these rich people and what we're gonna do is we're gonna act like we have kind of like a swiveling spotlight, okay? So we're gonna start by putting the spotlight on these, these rich people that James is talking to and we're gonna look at them to see what they're doing. And then we're gonna kind of take that spotlight and we're gonna shine it on us and say, what does this have to do with me? Like, what does this mean for my life as I navigate the everyday stuff of life here in Madison, Wisconsin? All right, but James is saying that judgment is coming to these rich people, not because wealth and riches that they have, because these are kind of neutral things, 
but because of what they do and what they don't do with their wealth. And the first thing he points out is they're, they're hoarding it. This is the wording in verse three. If you look, he says they laid up treasure. Okay, and so in the ancient agrarian world, there were really three standard sources of, of wealth. There was harvested grain, there was clothing, and there was precious metal and jewels. And this is a picture that James is giving us of just massive waste. All right, so you can picture just like luxurious food spread out on a table all over the counter that just sits there. It's bought, it's never eaten, and it just rots. You can picture like expensive clothing that was just bought to be accumulated and it's tucked away in storage because it never is used and moth, moths are now eating it. You have expensive jewelry that's just piled in places that is never worn, that's never used, and it's just corroding. And as we get this picture, these, these rich owners here, it seems, never wanted to use it, but they just wanted to have it. And now that they have it, it's, it's no good for anyone. Now, guys, I need you to see this, okay? James does not say, all right, he does not say that no one should be rich and that no one should have possessions, all right? But what he does say is that those who are rich should be sharing, not hoarding. As I was studying this passage, I came across a quote from the great theologian John Calvin, and he, he shares like the gravity and the weight of this situation here. Listen to what he says. He says, God has not appointed gold for rust nor gar garments for moths, but the contrary, he has designed them as aids and helps to human life. And these rich people here, they've, they've hoarded. They've built these like elaborate barns to store all of their excess, and James is saying, there's gonna come a day when it's all gonna be burned in fire and you're gonna burn with it. That these rich people were just hoarding their wealth as they prepared to meet the eternal judge and their hoarded resources are gonna testify against them as they're stored up treasures on earth and it's gonna bring about their eternal torment. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, if you're familiar with Jesus' words, you likely hear echoes of Jesus here in, in his little brother James. Right, listen to what Jesus talked about, okay? He talked about this reality. It's gonna come up here on the screen, but in Luke chapter 12, Jesus says something that's like very clarifying and, and very pointed to this fact. In Luke 12, Jesus says this. Verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who has made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable, saying, the land of a rich man produced plentiful, plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and I will build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. James and, and Jesus are, are really just saying, they're both saying the same thing, to be wary of storing up and hoarding treasures on earth. Instead, 
collect for yourself treasures in heaven. This is what James, or Jesus says in, in James chapter, or Matthew chapter six rather, and this is what James is, is really just repeating. He's, he's taking the words of his big brother Jesus and giving them back to us. I mean, this would be like someone today, you know, having money, you have everything you need, and you have more than enough. And you're walking down the road, you're driving down the road, and you pass a single mom in the middle of winter, sitting with her four kids on a snowbank in front of Pick and Save. Starving, they're holding a sign that says, we need food, please help. No jackets, they're freezing. Literally have nothing. And this person of excess looks and drives right by. Or maybe even worse yet, they, they do what they said earlier on in James. When they look at him, they say, you know what, I hope you have a great day. It's great to, to see you. Your kids are cute. This is what these rich people were doing. They were hoarding everything that they had, their excess, and they were not helping. Now, because what does this mean for our lives? Right, because we can look at these, these rich people and be like, oh my gosh, it's terrible, right? But here's the big idea. Because you can't take it with you, or you're not gonna take anything with you, but you can send it on ahead of you. Okay, this is what Jesus says, store up your treasures in heaven, that, that you can send it on ahead, storing treasures in heaven by sharing and being generous. And God, who sees everything, will reward you eternally for what you are doing presently. This is what they're saying. And while the Bible doesn't discourage saving, okay, it really doesn't, it's dead set against the vast accumulation of wealth focused solely on perpetuating our own comforts and pleasure while the people around us that we see and are living by are suffering. And they have not. James really is just showing us that to pursue wealth for its own sake is just ungodly. Guys, and this doesn't mean, okay, like some of you, you're, you're hearing this and you're like, okay, so clearly if I wanna be in with Jesus, I gotta go sell everything I have, right? And I can't enjoy anything. guys. This doesn't mean that as Christians we should shun the good things of this world or that Christians are wrong to, to save for the future or to contribute to retirement plans, okay? But what this means is that we need to think about these things in which we do. And we need to ask the question like, why do we do this? Why are we saving? Because as we talked about last week, we don't know what the future holds. We don't know what tomorrow brings. Our life is a mist and we need to think through the lens of the will of God that our planning should reflect this. And so saving is not ungodly if it's for godly purposes, such as like providing for other people or providing for yourself so you don't become a burden to others. See, it's not that you don't have the right to take your wealth and really just purchase something, but if you have things that you don't even need, if you have things that you don't even use, and your heart doesn't, isn't moved, to love and to help and to serve and to bless and to give to others in need, that's a problem. This is what James is saying. Because if we don't view things like this, if we don't have that heart of giving in generosity, then we don't have the heart of God. Because this is God's heart. God's heart is a, is a giving heart. God's heart is a sharing heart. God's heart is a gracious heart. It's a, it's a loving heart. And the bottom line is that wealth right, is, is to be used for good, not amassed in hoarding. And this goes back to James' overarching point of his book, that real faith, if we say that we have genuine, real faith, it moves us in this direction. It moves us towards becoming more and more 
like Jesus. So the first thing is, is hoarding. You guys with me? Deep breath, right? It's almost like James is like grabbing us by the scruff of the neck and just holding us underwater, right? And we're just like, let me breathe, right? So Shakespearean comic relief, I don't have a joke, but this was my attempt, okay? So here we go. The second reason that judgment was coming to these rich people was due to injustice. Look at verse four. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your field, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Now go down to verse six. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Guys, here's, here's the situation, okay? Two groups of people. You have one group, which is the ungodly rich landowners, and then you have the laborers who are poor but godly. And these godly poor are, are receiving a tremendous amount of injustice and they're crying out to God for help. Because in these days, if, if someone shorted you and you were not a landowner, you didn't really have any rights. And so they didn't have anywhere to complain, right? And so they're crying out to God and God hears them. And the picture that James lays out is a vivid one. It stopped me this week as, as I prayed through this and, and prepared for this. But here's the picture. I just want you to picture just a, a hardworking guy, blue-collar guy. He's working hard in the fields. He's supposed to get paid at the end of the day so that he can go home and he can provide dinner for his wife and kids. But while he's worked hard all day long, he didn't get paid. So this guy, he goes home. His wife and kids are sitting around the dinner table just waiting for dad to get home and, and bring dinner. The dad walks in with his head hanging low, tears in his eyes, and then just looks at his kids. And he says, sorry. Daddy's really, really sorry. I don't have any money today. I don't have dinner we can't eat. And the kids look at him and say, Dad, what, didn't you go to work? Like, what's, what's going on? And the dad looks at him and says, yeah, I, I worked hard all day, I promise you. I promise you, I, I busted it all day long. And the kids are like, well, what's, what gives, like, what's up? Like, what is going on? The guy didn't pay me. And at this point, the, the family starts weeping, the kids are hungry, they're, they're crying, and it's so loud that, that God hears it. Because I want you to know, this is not just a, a Bible story. This is a story of many people, many, many people around our country and around our world today. Guys, while the possessions of the rich are just accumulating, poor people are, are dying because of injustice. And the ultimate picture here is that the rich would be judged for condemning men. That's what he says in verse six, if you look back. One of the commentators that I, I read explained it like this, that in the Jewish world, to deprive a person of their support and their wages was the same as, as murdering them. This is what the ungodly rich were doing. Their oppression of others would lead to their own damnation. And guys, while this is aimed at unbelievers, we as God's people, we just need to pause. We need to pause for a moment and just feel the weight of what he's saying here. Because the truth is, is that God is very concerned 
for the poor, the oppressed, and the vulnerable. James has already talked about this as we've studied it. Throughout the Old Testament, God actually institutes laws to protect them. Prophets like Amos condemned those who exploited the poor and the vulnerable. And while no one else may care, while no one else may see what's going on, God sees, he feels, he understands, and he promises to act in avenge. And here's the truth for us with this, guys. Affluence in our lives can lead to carelessness and insensitivity. All right, that when people have a lot, they tend to be, be consumed with getting a lot more, and we gradually start to look past the needs of the people around us. And it's very possible today for the lifestyle of a, of a wealthy person to indirectly lead to harm in someone else's life. And those of us, like in the comparative wealth of the West, I mean, guys, Americans are some of the richest people comparatively, in the world. You know that? I mean, if you've, if you've been to places like Haiti, you, you have a new perspective on what it means to be, quote unquote, poor. Because the majority of us here today, like, we live at a standard and a, and a level of, of living that we just need to recognize that we're in like the top 1% of the entire world. You know, the reality is, is most of us, not, not all of us, right, not all of us, but the majority, the overwhelming majority of us here at Doxa Church, we're very blessed with more than we need. We have a place to stay, we have food to eat, we have a way to get around the places. But we live in a world that is just like, quite honestly, like obsessed with money and we have like a very skewed perception of rich and poor. I mean, for many of us, I mean, it, like, you know, you go home and you have a slow internet connection, right? And all of a sudden we pull out the Psalms of Lament and start reading all the suffering verses and we're like, oh my gosh, life is terrible, right? Not that bad, right? Not that bad. Most of us, this is not our story. But if you think globally, right, if you think biblically, I mean, biblically, like, to be poor was to literally have, to be homeless, to not have food, to like be destitute. Like, but if you think biblically and globally, and not like economically or politically or socially or anything like that, but biblically and globally, most of us are very rich. We have a lot. And we need to prayerfully consider how we're using our money and ask, is it for the good of others or just the good of myself? Is it just to fatten me or is it to feed others? Am I doing anything to help those in need around me or am I just adding to the suffering of others? Guys, these are heavy questions. So hoarding, injustice, and finally the third reason judgment was coming to these rich people was because of their self-indulgence. I look at verse five. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. Now with, with James' words here, we're reminded of the description, if you know your Bible, of Sodom and Gomorrah in Ezekiel 16. If you remember back, and it's describing this, these cities, it says in Ezekiel 16 that they had pride and plenty of food and comfortable security, but did not support the poor and the needy. Because the, these rich people were overfed and unconcerned. Overfed and unconcerned. And I can't think of really any clearer imagery of, of our culture today 
where wealth is just so concentrated, while literally thousands of people die every single day because they don't have food and water, right? I mean, we're, we're obsessed with the death ticker of what COVID is doing, right? Have you ever looked at the death ticker of how many people die every day because they don't have food and water? This is what James is making us think about. And as we hear this, like hopefully you're, you're feeling something. This wrecked me this week. I mean, it straight up did. I don't know what God's gonna do with it in my life yet, but it made me feel something. But guys, it's not, the goal is not just to feel something. It's to act and to do. This is James, right? Don't just hear the word of God. Don't just feel something. Do it. Or what? You're deceived and you might not have faith. I mean, this is the hard words of James, right? I mean, it feels like we need to have a, a helmet and a cup on as we're reading this, right? It's just, it's difficult. It's, that's weird. I'm sorry, guys. It just, right? It's hard. But we go back to last week and we ask that question, what is the will of God? What is the will of God for my life? What would God have me do to help and again, James is not saying we can't enjoy the things of this world that God gives us because that would be denial of God as a good gift giver and everything that he's given us. But James is talking about an ungodly attitude that sees ourselves at the center of everything. And his language here of self-indulgence, it just points to like a wasteful, self-centered lifestyle that's reminiscent of the son in the story of the prodigal son. You remember that? He, he just got everything and he went and recklessly spent everything on himself and he wasted it. And when James speaks these words, he's reminding us that the good things that God puts in our hands are not just to be used on ourselves, but they're to be used in the service of others as well. Wealth is to be used and we're to be those who have in order to be those who give, just like Jesus. So practically, here's, here's what I would give you and I want you to write this down, okay? Usually I'm full of stuff, like write this down, write this, please write this down, and I just want you to think about this, okay? We should never be living as well as we could be. Doc, so this is true. We should never be living as well as we could be. That unless we're like right on the poverty line, we should be giving to help meet the needs of others. And as we give and as we're generous, and we have more of God's heart, this means that we're not likely to have everything that we could have. Does that make sense? That we could have like a bigger house, we could have a nicer car, we could have these other things that, that we would, they were great, they would, we would enjoy it, but because of my generosity, because of God's heart conforming my heart, we don't live like we could. So the question, guys, is how are we using our money? How are we using it? I mean, Lisa and I were, were talking about this yesterday. I got back from the office and I'm just like, oh my gosh, like, how are, how are we using our money? This is what he's asking us to consider because it's not about how much you make, but God cares about what we do with it, okay? Now with all that, I'm about out of time, but we, we clearly hear the warning, right? There's a danger that, that comes with wealth. wealth. And honestly, the, the issue is not if you're rich or poor. The issue is if you're godly or ungodly. This is the most important thing in your life because everything flows from it and eternity hangs on it. And so this is how we'll end. Here's what I found to be true in, in my life, okay? 
the antidote to all of these things mentioned by James, hoarding, monetary injustice, self-indulgence, all these things, all these warnings, the antidote to that is giving. Because guys, understand this, when, when we give, we align ourselves with the will of God and the heart of God, and as a result, we distance ourselves from the corruption that wealth can bring. This is what the Apostle Paul talks about in 1 Timothy 6. He's warning rich people that the, the, your wealth will pull you away Will, help, will cause you to abandon your faith. It's, Jesus said it's hard for wealthy people to get into heaven because they trust in their wealth and not in God. Listen, it's gonna come up here on the screen. 1 Timothy 6, this is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, command those who are rich in this present age not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good. Now listen to this to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. He says to be rich in good deeds, to be generous. This will keep us from the snares that wealth can bring that will be tempted to, to tear us away from Jesus, to make us walk away from God, to be generous. And now, as you hear me talk about generous God, being generous, generosity is not something that we just do on our own, right? It's not just something that we resolve to, it's not just like I'm gonna white knuckle and I'm gonna be generous today. It's not just something that we decide to do and that this is where generosity comes from. But generosity, guys, is an attribute of God. One that we've all benefited from, right? Every single one of us, anything good in your life is a gift from God. James, this is what he says. He's a good gift giver. See, Jesus came into the world and he conquered Satan, sin, death, and hell and the wrath of God by giving. This is how he did it. And his giving leads to our salvation. I mean, you just need to know this, that Jesus is a generous giver. Amen? This is him. He's a generous giver. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. He says, for you know the grace of the Lord Jesus, that though he was rich... All right, you ask yourself, where did Jesus live before he came to earth? Heaven, right? Nice place? Yeah. But look at this, listen. Though he was rich for your sake, for our sake, for, for my sake, what did he do? He became poor so that by his poverty we might become rich. Salvation makes us rich and we have everything because Jesus has given it all to us. And guys, one of the great marks of a Christian is to be a giver and not a taker. Are you a giver, Doxa? Again, Lisa and I are talking about this. Stood around our, our, our island in our kitchen and just said, are we, are we givers? Like, is that something that someone would say about me? Is this what God would say about me? Are, are you a giver? Christians are supposed to be givers because Jesus is a giver. And don't you love the fact that Jesus didn't come and, and like every other religious leader in the world, Jesus didn't say, gimme, gimme, gimme. He says, I give, right? He says, I give. 
I give grace, I give love, I give mercy, I give compassion, I give salvation, I give forgiveness. Jesus just gives. And this sets Christianity apart from every other religion in the world. Because every other religion will say, you need to give this so you can be right with God. You need to do this thing. You need to go to purgatory so you can pay off your, your debt and make God like you. You need to reincarnate so you can have, you pay off your karmic debt. You, Jesus just gives. He does it all. And he goes to the cross and he gives his body. He gives his blood. He gives everything. He gives it all for us. That everything we have spiritually is a gift. Everything we have physically in this world is a gift from God. And the heart of Jesus is giving, and when we give, we're following in his examples. And this says the right thing about God. This is 1 John 2, 6. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. This is James. And guys, for us as a church that exists for the glory of God and the good of Madison, this needs to be our heart and our posture as well. Other than that, we're playing. We're deceived if we think that we're living for Jesus. And as we continue to experience God being generous with us, it leads us to want to be generous with others. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 10, right? Freely you have received, freely give. Now for the sake of clarity, guys, if, if you're here, if, if you're here and, and you're not a Christian, you're tuned in and, and you're not, you haven't put your faith in Jesus, I love that you're here. I mean, seriously, I say it all the time. One of the highest honors in my entire life is to teach you the Bible. But let me say this. I don't want there to be any confusion. I don't want you to leave here and think, okay, so to be right with God, I need to start being generous. And I guess I gotta give my money. Hear me say, that's, that's certainly good, that's, that's godly, that's, that's great, that's a great ambition. But the most important thing for you to do today, before you give, anything in your pocket is to give your life to Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, you need Jesus. This condemnation, this eternal separation that he's talking about of these ungodly rich, it's because they're ungodly. That Jesus hasn't closed the gap, that on our own we exist separated from God because of the sin in our life, which is in every single one of us. And if this goes on forever, upon death, it's eternal separation, which is the terrible conscious reality of hell. Jesus comes and he gives his life, he gives his death, he raises back to life to give us salvation and bring us back to God. This is the most important thing for you to do, and I pray today that you would not leave this place, you wouldn't turn off the live stream without contacting somebody, asking somebody and saying, what do I do to get right with God? Then they know the Bible, if they know Jesus, they're gonna say, come to Jesus. Give your life to Jesus, this is everything. But for those of you who are Christians, here's how I'll end. James said in, in chapter one that faith without works is dead. Remember that? And faith is just like a devotion to God that results in a changed life. And so James says you, you can't have faith in God and not have life change with God. Because I, th I think we can really kind of say the same thing about our giving that faith without giving is dead. That we can't say I love God in here, but it doesn't affect that we, the way that we spend out there. Right? Because let's be a church. Let's be God's people that hear him today. Through the presence and the power of the Spirit, through James' word, let's hear him 
and respond to him by living like Jesus for the sake of the world. And Doxa, I love you. It's like the reason why I'm up here saying these hard things. Like, do you think I like, oh, I'm gonna get up here and yell at people like James does. <laughs> this isn't fun. <laughs> but just like, I love you. We need to hear this thing, these things. And I'm so proud to be part of this church family with you. This past week, guys, yeah, this past week, I learned that over $30,000 has been given to our COVID relief fund. That's awesome. I love the heart that God is shaping in us to give. And guys, we're not getting this money and say, you know what, this is gonna be a good nest egg, just in case we have some bad months, in case Rob says something stupid on a Sunday and half the church leaves, we're just gonna keep this so we can pay the, no. What we're trying to do is we're trying to get rid of all of it. And every single day, every single week, it's almost like we're getting requests of people in our church that are suffering, that are having a hard time, that are just living in our city somewhere and hear that there's for some reason a church that wants to give away money to help me. Why do you wanna do that? It's because we love Jesus. And we wanna try and get rid of all of it. You know, even more, Sam Roberts, who oversees our, our local missions here at Doxa, he, he told me this past week that, that our partnerships with, with some of the schools in our, in our city they're, they're still strong, and the principals of talking to him are excited and, and maybe even just like a little confused, like why do you guys wanna help us so much? But if you really do wanna do that, like sure, like you can help us. Like we have a ton of underprivileged kids and families that can need help. Like, yeah, you wanna do that? Yes. Why? Is it because we're great philanthropists? No. It's because we're trying to be like Jesus. We don't want to be this talk is cheap Christianity type thing. We, we want to actually live for, like, and with Jesus. And so out of the things that we get, we give. Just like Jesus, he's a giver. And guys, as we do this as a church family, it's saying the right thing about the Jesus that we love and worship and sing and pray to and teach about. And so we're gonna respond. We're gonna respond now. We're gonna, we're gonna sing to Jesus. We're gonna thank him for all that he's done. And I just wanna ask you, guys, I'm gonna pray here in just a minute. I just want you to sit. And I want you to think about what James has shared with us today, that we've, we've heard from God through his word. And ask the question, so what? Right? I mean, literally, so what? You just listened to me talk for however long I did, right? So what? What does this mean for your life? What is God trying to say to you? How will you respond as you leave this place? Let's pray. God, I, I thank you for, for uncomfortable words. As I've sat in this, this text for the last week or so, and just evaluating my life, hearing your words and thinking like, Rob, can you even get up on that stage and talk like this? Thank you that you, you met me in that and you showed me a path forward and you reminded me of the gospel. And you reminded me how Jesus gave everything. And everything that I have is a gift. And you stirred my heart, you stirred my affection in a way that's leaving, leading to conversations and, and actions of wanting to be generous like my King Jesus. And so God, thanks for 
for loving us. Thanks for giving us a way. Thanks for giving us salvation. Thanks for giving us everything. The only reason I'm standing here is because you gave. You intervened and you took a messed up, broken dude like myself. And you made me new. Would you recall to us, even as we sit here and pray, the gospel that saved our lives and how that was a gift that you gave it? Would that well up in us in a way that we would have your heart to then go out into a broken world and be a part of your business of giving and being generous to bring life and hope and redemption to those who are in need and vulnerable and oppressed? God, would you let us be that type of church? We want to be a city on a hill. this starts with us and so if there is somebody here today or tuned in today God would you speak and help them to take a step towards you to say yes to you give their life to you so that they can sing and celebrate and be part of your redemptive work in this world in Jesus name Amen Guys we're going to invite you to stand we're going to sing to sing a song that says, in Christ alone, my hope is found. Because it's only Jesus that we have a reason to sing. He's our light. He's our strength. But God's light has just shone into our hearts, into our lives for our good. It might make us feel uncomfortable as we consider our lives and is it saying the right thing about Jesus, but he's also our strength, right? And through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, he will empower us to live like Jesus for the sake of the world. So let's sing to him, let's worship him, let's raise our voices.